Is it working? We coming through one testing. Just let it flow, Dave. Just testing let it flow. One. It, is it going through? It's going through, man. Well, ladies and gentlemen, mainly because Holesco has been taking seven vacations during the summer. Yep, it's true. Seven vacations, I needed them. Needed them after the Harawas event, which was a huge hit. Needed them after... Uh, we don't go for hits here at Northern Seminary. We just try to be faithful and let God do the work. Amen to that. Amen. But it was a big success. Did I say success? So not a hit, but a success. Okay, good. It was a great time clear that we up. had with Stanley and all that Involved. Thanks to everyone who came. It was a great time for us all. But hey, we've been away. It's the summertime. It's 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 hot in Chicago. We were getting nasty twitters and emails thrown at it. People tweets is what we tweets. Call yeah, thank you. Uh, we're getting nasty tweets about uh, how people on lawnmowers had nothing to do, uh, nothing to listen to uh, while they were doing their chores and their yard work. I mean, it was a disgrace. I think. Whole societies have been falling apart and grinding to a halt because, because we didn't do our podcast. Because it's been about a month and a half. Boy, that's that's an excessive self evaluation <laughs> if there ever was one. <laughs> and this is not it. This is an unofficial summer only podcast, and so we're kind of at least I'm flying by the seat of my pants. I just rolled in from out of town You're this last weekend. By the seat of your pants. Trying to clear out my inbox, all of you who go on vacation, and then you have a torrent of emails. You know what I'm going through. And Dave said, "Hey, let's do a podcast," and I was like. Sure. Actually, you said Let's it. do it. But, folks, uh, one more thing before we start the podcast. We're here in the Griffith uh, Sound Studio. The uh, the, the Lombard Campus. Lombard Campus. And this may be, uh, depending on if you can get your butt in here and do more podcasts, this may be the last time we're in this place because our whole seminar is moving. It's vintage. The new facilities, a beautiful new building facility about four miles from where we're sitting right now and they're currently building our very own sound studio and we're going to have our own sound studio in, in that the library man it's going to be great I, are we moving up or what well we're actually moving to the basement but cool but I, I got your point but the though. basement's going to be really I definitely cool got your point building. it's going to have the library it's going to have a little window that's going to a little door that goes out to this little lake on the property it's going to be fantastic oh. so ladies and gentlemen we just want to say uh Come to Northern Seminary. We got this new cool building. If you're ever going down 355 or 88, you'll see it. It's a large, large kind of corporate looking building, but it's going to be a very special place. Not for the just ministry a cool of the kingdom, new building, but we also, we also have the Southside Center that's opening up. And so there's lots of things going on. And, and Lawndale, as always, that's... Uh, that's on the west on, side of yeah. Chicago. Uh, well, slightly southwest side. But anyways. We and won't. if you're uh, anywhere outside of Chicago, of course, you can join us by Northern Live. Hey, at the end of this episode, we got to talk about our church planting institute. Okay, we All can't right. forget so let's about that. try not that. to forget that. But, but we're going to talk about the church. Let's get to the issue of the day. I mean, I think we've had enough small talk that we can get to the issue of the day. And the issue of today that I'd like to talk about, that we would like to talk about, is the idea of church discipline, church discipline. And the thing that um, I would like to talk about or the question I have is this, really. Is church discipline the unilateral enforcement of discipline on a person by a community? By unilateral, I mean unidirectional. Community goes to said person and in essence says, get in line nicely, I'm sure, uh, and, and graciously but still unilateral, 
Or is it the opening up of a space for mutual discernment on issues of sin, conflict, and disagreement? And I contend, can I say contend again? Because I know you don't like that word. I contend that this is a key issue. And I think that after, uh, can I mention the word Mark Driscoll without, without, you know, creating an antagonism? Bless you, Mark Driscoll, you know, a pastor, uh, a minister of the gospel. But after the whole fiasco at Mars Hill uh, there in Seattle with this heavy-handed disciplinary procedures and everything that went on in the Internet, after C.J. Mahaney, after numerous problems in the church with church discipline, there's a lot of people, I think, that just want to say, the heck with it. We don't need church discipline. If this is what it is, it ain't good. And what I want to say is no. I just think that's the wrong way to A, understand church discipline, and B, understand Matthew chapter 18, 15 through 20. What do you say? So let's back up just a second. So the problem. This is what you always do. I know. Up. I always back up. A lot. I always back up. Uh, I, I just really like time. Back up, reflect. Let's go over the issues one more time and do it in a way which other people can understand because you just <laughs> went off on a rant. That's what I just interpreted yeah, Jeff Holzclaw, ladies and gentlemen. Quite a bit of reading between the lines here. We might need uh, a church disciplinary function here to sort this right, out. We might need church discipline right here in the Griffith Conference radio broadcast booth. <laughs> well, we're not broadcasting yet, although I do have plans to live stream this later. So hopefully by the time season three rolls around, of theology on mission, will have. Uh, I can't maybe wait some, for the new comp, the new broadcast. Studio, we'll have some but live let's, streaming let's keep options. It here, so folks. the question is: is uh, you were saying? I just want to back up to: is that uh, with the heavy-handed church discipline uh, coming f- pronouncements from on high, from the leadership, from the elder board, or however the church government is uh, functioning, uh, and people get there's been a lot of church abuse that way, kind of spiritual abuse coming out from um, overzealous discipline uh for petty things and different things like that and there's a whole culture of being you know watched over and disciplined which can be very unhealthy when we're supposed to live under grace it feels like there's law all over the place so then people as you said they go the other way and say well forget that we're not going you know and they don't say this out loud but the the practice is well we're not going to hold people accountable for things maybe we'll talk about you know the goodness of certain actions but we're never going to hold any other accounts we'll and if there's a problem yeah, we'll just kind of encourage, coach. Nothing uh, wrong with that, by the way. But we will remain silent on any tough issues and things like that. And uh, and so we people kind of ping pong back and forth. And when you come from uh, a kind of a real free or loose kind of church like that, then you know maybe you want all the discipline. And so we just find ourselves in this perpetual kind of either or between a whole bunch of heavy handed church discipline, or you don't say anything to anybody. But you already hinted at well, maybe we're reading that chapter wrong. And maybe there's a better way to go about understanding church discipline. Yeah, and I think that people who've read me in Faithful Presence, the book uh, knows that uh, the the practice of reconciliation is is a very, very important uh, formative part of discipleship. Not only personal discipleship, but it shapes the way we are in in the neighborhoods and in the half circles of our lives, and it brings the actual ongoing work of God in reconciling the world to himself through Christ into the world. So it's very, very important. And by the way, have you noticed I got my Greek New Testament here? Uh, I noticed that. None of our listeners noticed well, that I just because we're say on it radio for, here I just and podcast. say that for Scott McKnight's benefit. <laughs> but anyways, um, but okay, so we know the text, and it goes something like this. 
It says, if a church member sins against you, and I'm on verse 15, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one or you have won that person back into the fold. Now, uh, that word listen, just to start off our conversation, uh, many people, uh, uh, I think somewhat accurately, go to the dictionaries, the various uh, lexicographies, uh, and say that the that word means um, listen. Does is the person receptive, obedient, responsive, heeding, and agreeing what you say? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I don't think that that. I think that may. And the other idea here is. Go if, if the person does not go and bring another person to you or a second person to you. And the understanding there is a reference to Deuteronomy chapter 19. You know, a single witness shall not suffice against the person for any crime, must have two or three witnesses. Um, and there's this essence that this is really uh, an enforcement of a court proceeding. That's mm-hmm. what I think a lot of people want to interpret this particular part of the text as. Um, my my suggestion is no, that's not a that's not at all where Jesus is taking it. Um, instead, I think that Jesus is taking it uh, to mean something more akin to um, go see if the person will listen if space opens up and submit one to another, not a singular one-to-one obey. If the person will not submit or listen, by, by the way, submission is in there, but Jesus, by the end of the chap, by the end of these five verses, takes it to a communal discernment is my point. You know how just, okay, uh, so basically we are, the disagreement, and I know you want to like step back and Rephrase it for me. Let's right now. step back a minute. <laughs> Let's step back and rephrase it for me. <laughs> so the diff- difference is: does a kuo does listen? Does that mean go to the person and see if they'll agree with you? See if they'll agree with a communal assessment that you have done A, B, or C, and you are in the wrong. You must repent in order to come back in. Or is it see if the person will submit to a space of discernment under the name and lordship of Christ's rule? and mutually submit to uh, a discernment process together in a community. That, to me, is the issue. Okay, and one of the reasons why I'm not accepting that this is just a um, transplantation from Deuteronomy 19 to a, a court of law of some kind of, um, of uh, Torah from Deuteronomy is that Jesus is always about, and indeed I would argue the whole Old Testament and New Testament is about the overthrow of hierarchy, you know, Jesus says at least six times, not so among you. It shall not be so, Lord, it over. No, we become servants one to another. The idea of, and Jesus is always doing this to the, to the Pharisees, um, you know, who say, hey, there's a law here and we need to enforce it. The Sabbath says you can't pick corn on Sunday. The Sabbath says you can't heal the man with dropsy on Sunday. And Jesus asks him a question, opens up the discernment by saying something like, well, if your child fell into a well, would you wait on, on, on the Sabbath? Sorry, not Sunday. 
I think of Sabbath. <laughs> but on Saturday, on Sabbath, would you wait until the next day to get him out? And he opens up a discerning process. Based on that, I suggest that Jesus is not recapitulating as is the Deuteronomic law, but he's taking this to a space of mutuality, which is what I believe Israel was always called to, but they always reverted to imposition, coercion, and law. Do you have any comments on that? Am I way off on that, or or, or is this... No, I don't think you're way off, and I don't think it's necessarily a problem that only Israel struggled with. I think it's our human condition where we'll take things that were meant to be um, guidelines that flourish our life, that bring life, and we bring them into strict rules that end up um, causing death within us, uh, metaphorically, sometimes maybe even literally. Right? This is Paul's whole uh, argument in Galatians and Romans about the law, is that it was a good thing, it was a good gift by God, but then it always, uh, sin takes hold of it and always reduces it to its meanest kind of level. And then we become trapped within it. And I think this is happening with this passage. And so the listen, when you go to your brother uh, or sister and uh, uh, hope that they'll listen to you, we revert that to uh, the idea of, well, the judgment has already been made and the punishment needs to be rendered and they need to listen and submit themselves to that. But what you're saying, and I think what Jesus meant is, is will they enter into a process of discernment. And I think Jesus, of all people, as you said, um, was always trying to cultivate wisdom um, in the midst of his disciples. Wisdom uh, is the ability to live uh, prudently, wisely, justly. Yeah, But it's not necessarily a strict adherence to certain laws. And I even think Israel's own law was supposed to cultivate wisdom. It's just in our sinfulness, we just make it rules and regulations. Exactly. That happens over and over again. Uh, I think that's the Pauline point that the law has become an ideology, which we use to determine who's in and who's out. And that's Galatians, what, four or five. But, but now, no, the law was never meant to do that. It was meant to cultivate a life together, which gives witness to what, what God's created purposes are for our lives. So, I have a couple Jewish friends, and they are always saying, the translation of Torah should not be law. <laughs> That's, it's more of like a way or a life. You know, they're yeah. like, we think of legal rules and regulations and our, uh, you know, when we get traffic tickets and when we don't and what police officers are going to pull us over for. And those are the laws. But, uh, in you know, ancient Israel, the law or Torah was really a whole way of living before God that's supposed to flourish life. But in our sin, we always turn it toward death. Yeah. And so uh, when Jesus says what you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven what you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven out of this reconciliation process binding and loosing as many different people have pointed out is about discerning not just sin but um conflict disagreements and uh, this is this is, so this is a way about going forward in life it's not about just saying hey you have sinned, get yourself back in line. No, it's about, oh, we have an issue here which we're not all in agreement with. We need to discern what this means, not only for your life, but for our life and where God is taking us. Right, well, I think that goes to even the word ecclesia, and we've probably covered this in previous podcasts, is that we're so accustomed to the word in like the you know Paul's letters and all these things to refer to the group of Christians who worship Jesus, things like that. But uh, the word rarely shows up in the Gospels on Jesus's lips. Uh, and this chapter is one of the few times in Matthew where the word church actually comes up. Uh, and for him, in the ancient context, a church or an ecclesia, a gathering of people, was actually kind of like the village council uh, 
who um, decided things for the benefit of their village, uh, whether they were trade agreements or whether someone had violated some sort of, uh, you know, property deal or whether someone, you know, sometimes there were rulings on, you know, thefts or something like that. Uh, but it was really this body for making decisions for the good of the community. And so the Ecclesia is really a community of judgment who's discerning what's best for everybody. And so to say, um, if your brother sins, uh, go and talk to them about it and see if they'll listen. It's really, it means enter into a conversation about what they've done and whether it's for the good of the community. Is it a sin or is it not a sin? What's going on here? It needs to be discerned. Uh, And if you guys can't resolve the issue, say, if uh, I feel you sinned and you feel like you didn't sin, then what are you going to do? Well, we need to get more people involved. Within the community, the people who know us, who know the situation, not some random judge from Nowheresville, but someone in our community. And actually discern the concrete issue uh, that is at hand. Now, granted, there are plenty of times when, uh, at least in our ministry at Life in the Vine, and and now now we minister at two different churches, which are both part of what once was Life in the Vine. We have two churches instead of one. But anyways, uh, we both had situations where people have sinned against God, sinned against their marriage, committed uh, adultery. And uh, there's very little um, uh, there's very little to discern in terms of whether this was wrong or right. And we had to ask, I don't know if you know who I remember who we're talking about, but we had to ask certain per, per, people to not partake in the Eucharist anymore and to really sort out what they're doing with their lives in relation yeah. to certain relationships. But so no, there's no relativism here uh, involved. No, it, but there are plenty of times where we need to discern more as to what's going on in our lives, what's going on internally in our souls, what's going on in our community. Uh, and this is more than just, hey, you're wrong and I'm right. This is about what's God doing here and where is he taking us? So to summarize, when, uh, where I've gotten on this argument so far i just think the long trajectory of the old testament to this point through the through the new testament is one of overcoming or overthrowing hierarchy we go from he shall rule over you in the fall to there shall be no more uh usurping one over another mark ten forty five. and when you take that together with the second theme that jesus is always overturning the heavy-handedness coercive ways of the pharisees and the way the law had become used to uh enforce a unilateral coercion he's always overturning that when you put the, those two uh trajectories into and put this new testament passage matthew 18 15 through 20 into that trajectory you see Ah, this is what Jesus is doing one more time. He's taking us from there to an understanding of mutuality and discernment for the kingdom of God, the formation of a new politic of forgiveness and reconciliation where God is taking the world. And so what you notice is uh, the text, Matthew eighteen fifteen moves from a single person going to a single person and doing what Deuteronomy asks to a obliteration of hierarchy in the process and a move to mutuality. The witnesses are still invited, yes. But no, it isn't a coercion. It becomes a mutuality where two or three gather in my name under my authority, where they gather together and agree, come to an agreement what is bound on earth shall be bound in heaven. What is loosed on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And now conflict becomes the space where Jesus says, and lo, I am in the midst. My presence is there. 
The kingdom is breaking in. Something new is happening. This is not about winning. I'm going here to win. No, it does say to win somebody, but it's winning somebody to the community all over again. And the community is either widened or deepened or become something that it wasn't before, but it's now a bigger, better, more significant community than it was before. And that goes to the last part that I was thinking of is that uh, at Life of the Vine, you know, we never talk about this verse as these group of verses as about church discipline. Uh, it's the you know that's like a header that gets put in our Bibles, but this is really about church restoration, and, and so it comes down to your posture um, as anyone anyone who's involved in, in a situation like this is your posture one of discipline is being handed out or received. Or is it that restoration is being offered and received and hoped for? When you go and tell someone their sin, is it because you want to discipline them? Like that could get really twisted in your own heart. Like, oh, I'm the one who hands out the discipline. And if you're kind of uh, afraid of, of conflict, of course, that keeps you from wanting to do it. But if you can say, no, I'm seeking restoration. There's a breach of some sort here somewhere. Uh, and I want to be an agent of restoration. And I think that totally changes our whole understanding of it. And if you as a person who's being talked to about something you did, if you can believe that the person's coming to you with a restorative hope, that's going to totally change the dynamic. And maybe it'll all be a little bit more the way Jesus handles issues rather than us just working it out in our flesh and then saying we're being biblical or something like that. And let me say this, this changes the way we live. It changes the way we all live. It changes those of us who are married the way we're married. It changes, uh, it calls us out of every conflict being a win-lose. Um, it, and, and I know justice and you don't. It calls us out of the coercive ways, the antagonistic ways of the world to another way of being in the world and inviting them in. And I'm telling you, it seems like this happens once a day because I'm just a conflictual person. People get upset at me all the time. Now, I can be in a line at the Goodwill store and uh, accidentally step in front of somebody and they're going, hey, you stepped in front of me. I can either go, no, I did not. Or I can go, I am so sorry. How did I do that? What did I miss? I submit to you. Uh, how did that happen? Why? And and uh, instead of turning it into a, hey, I just want you to understand that uh, I was right and you were wrong before I leave the store, we open up space for the kingdom of God in, in every little conflict that we have up and down the streets of our neighborhoods, on the violent corners uh, of the places in the urban settings everywhere. The And this is why I'm so upset with the, what's happened after the uh, Mark Driscoll and other various episodes where the pastors have been heavy-handed and given discipline a bad name. Mm -hmm. We need to give reconciliation a good name Amen. for what God's calling us to do in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in the places where we hang out uh, to be with other people who are lost and hurting. So it's not that uh, we don't believe in right and wrong and that we're just relativizing everything into a constant conversation. And it's not that we believe discipline shouldn't be enacted. Sometimes we have actually pastorally had to enact discipline on church members. Um, but uh, it's not a question of being right and wrong because you can be right or wrong and nobody be reconciled or restored. Uh, and so if the goal is restoration and reconciliation, the way you go about it is going to be different. And so and that's what 
we want to throw out there is that these verses deal with restoration and the process of listening to one another. And we believe, you know, this has to be couched in a whole uh, theology of the spirit of the priesthood of all believers given to all people. Uh, and so uh, it's not just the senior pastor or the leadership board who has uh, and who hears from God. Uh, and so we all need to be open to all these different kinds of things. You got Absolutely. a last thought uh, on church restoration well, and reconciliation? Well, you know, I, I wish I had put a little more of this exegesis into the chapter on reconciliation and faithful presence, but there are plenty of examples, plenty of ways to go about doing this in faithful presence. The chapter, I think it's chapter one, two, three, four, or chapter five. Uh, and uh, you can find out more about that uh, in that chapter, but also uh, I've written it on my blog on Miss Yolines. So Dave, uh, you know, regularly, you know, for the last six months now is, is plugging his book endlessly, that's but true. that's okay. But just by the time he's done plugging his book, uh, my book will be coming out. My my wife and I, Dave, Sid and I are writing a book together. Did you know are that? Are you already Have, advanced plugging? Um, yeah, I'm pre-plugging, yeah, yeah. So pre-plugging. But, yeah, about a year a year from now. I'm just throwing that out there. A year from now. Hey, but speaking of books, we haven't done this segment in a long time, but what are you reading? All right. So for lack of preparation, uh, because you sprung it on me like you always do. Uh, I'm reading again for the second time Greg Boyd's Crucifixional Warrior God. And he's coming out with a short version, 300 pages. Crucifixional Warrior God is actually 1,400 and some pages. Uh, cross Vision is uh, the Vision of the Cross. I think oh, I think it's Cross Vision. I can't remember the title of it. It's going to be out here in about another month and a half. It's this 300-page version of the same thing by Greg Boyd. But anyways, I'm, uh, I just want to plug it one more time. There's uh, somebody, uh, some adversary if i can put it that way <laughs> on uh, facebook uh by the way you can follow me on facebook but you can't uh, friend me anymore because i don't have any space but uh there's a friend there who said something like uh i'm the biggest i'm a fanboy. i worship greg boyd well buddy i love you greg boyd and this book has been a place which put it all together about how god is working in the world through suffering and that the pages of uh, that the particular text, you know, Joshua 11 comes to mind, but other texts about God sponsoring violence, we need to look beyond the initial way it looks to see what God's actually doing there in terms of, uh, in terms of redeeming the world through suffering, but also stooping as a missionary God, as, as Greg Boyd talks about it, and uh, uh, what he's willing to go through in terms of just taking on violence on himself to save the world. I think... The best place to go to make sense out of the violence passages in the Old Testament in terms of God is Greg Boyd's work. If you can't read Crucifixion of the Warrior God, all 1,400 pages, read the new book coming out in August, which is entitled Cross Vision. Excellent. Well, uh, I was on vacation recently, so I was doing some vacation reading, and I like to read. Uh, don't hold it against me. You're going to give me a funny look when I say this, but I like reading poetry on vacation. <sighs> Yeah, see, he gives me a groan there. But I was reading, you know Langston Hughes? Yes, I do. I Langston, do Hughes, Langston Hughes, he is the author of the very famous uh, Dream Deferred. He's an African-American uh, poet. Uh, he started writing in 1926, and he died in 1976. And I was reading a collection of poems that he uh, hand-selected from all of his works spanning his entire life uh, called, I, th I think it's just a selection of poems by Langston Hughes. Uh, and they were so powerful. If people have uh, read or, um, you know, thought upon, like, Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates, 
uh, and just kind of been thinking about, you know, the African-American experience in America. I think reading these poems, they're just powerful, moving, um, uh, just reflections on uh, life in America. Yeah. And so I would yeah. highly recommend them. Well, you seem more calm since you came back. Oh, that's good. You're a little more present. I'm a little. I can oh, put it that okay. way. You like my new shirt? It's a vacation shirt. Is it pink? It's white. Never oh, mind. Uh, He's colorblind. I always forget. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, it's oh, been wait. good to be. Church Planning Institute. Church Planning Institute comes, starts in September. Starts in early September. I think what we're is going to take 15 people into that? What is the Church Planning Institute? It is not uh, a weekend retreat that's going to cure all of your, your church Ills. planting woes. It is not a new program that's going to uh, give you a blueprint that will just show you how to plant a church. But if you're interested in church planting, if you're a church that wants to get into the kind of church planting kind Nitty of ethos, uh, we are starting a 10-month uh, training and coaching, I don't know what it's called, program or training Um that's going to start in September and run through early June. And it's going to ha- have parts of weekly um, kind of gathering, mentoring, and it has a monthly kind of component. Yes. Yeah, and it, uh, I'm going to be doing 10 sessions on uh, just workshops, three-hour workshops once a month on a Saturday morning and for 10, 10 months. And it's going to be on various things you need to think about in terms of church planning. And frankly, we're talking about church planning in a whole different way than I think what the majority of of Christian, especially evangelical Christianity, has been used to over the last 35 years. We can explain that later. We also have coaching for a new kind of leadership that you need to gather people together in not a way that's coercive or like you're selling some uh, vision statement or actually selling a product. No, this is gathering people to uh, be present in the kingdom of God in a particular location. That's going to be done by our friends at Gravity Leadership. And then we have residency program coming in second year, and we also have retreats for spiritual formation for missional uh, leadership in the second year. So we're looking forward to this. If you're interested, what do they do, Greg? Uh, did I call you Greg? You Jeff Hosklaw. Oh, my gosh. I have my twin brother's name, Greg, for all I've, those I've who I've called him Greg for a long time. Uh, I saw Greg, actually, in Fremont. Okay, we, Bay Area. we need to close this. So if you're interested, if you're uh, a church planner currently and you just feel like I could use more support, some more coaching, please, you jump in. If you're thinking about planting or if your church thinking about planting, uh, I don't have the website off the top of my head, but if you if you throw into the Google machine Church Planting Institute and Northern Seminary, you'll go right to the page. Uh, otherwise, um, find our podcast uh, page and we'll have the information there. Also, uh, so Church Planting Institute by Northern Seminary. Dave Fitch is leading yeah, We have up. room for about great. 15 people, but uh, we got to go. This has gone on way too long. Nobody wants to hear our commercials forever. Ladies and gentlemen, Theology on Mission podcast, Jeffrey Holesclaw III, Dave Fitch, signing <laughs> out.